Bible says, oh, clap your hands, all you people. Psalm 47. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. If you have any victory in your life this week, it's not because of you. It's because of what he did. Give him praise. Come on. Hallelujah. We give you praise, Lord. We give you praise, Lord. I want to sing that one more time. Oh, come to. There's an altar this morning right where you're standing. There's one up here. We'll open it at the end of the service. But if you need to come and pray, please, that's always in order. It's always in order to bow before his presence and call upon his name and lean in him. Let's lift this up. Come on, like you mean it. Everybody, open your mouth. Sing with your voice. Yes.
at least a couple of you are. Come on. Thank you. Thank you, team. Beautiful job. Pastor Jeremy over there just tearing it up on the drums, helping us out. Love you, man. Everybody, love you. You and you and you and all of you. <laughs> I had a wonderful week in Fort Worth last week with my son and his lovely wife, my grandson. I'm going to be grandpa again in October, another little boy. So, very excited about that. Um, trips will obviously be increasing. I've got to go back for a third birthday party for Henry in September and then Grady, named after my dad. I think that's the coolest thing. Drew and Holly love these old-fashioned names, and so Grady will be born in October sometime, and then I may hold off till Thanksgiving if I can uh, to be able to go see them again, but yeah, excited. Nothing like the grandbabies. If I'd have had them first, the life would have probably been a little different, but that's not how it works. <laughs> welcome, welcome today. If you're logged in to one of our uh, platforms, you're watching either via YouTube or Facebook Live, we welcome you today. I just want to say thank you, Jesus, for this rain. Yes. Although I want to tell you, I will not complain again about a 100-degree day down here because when I was in Fort Worth, it was a 111. Yeah. It's like walking out into a sauna. And so I'm, I am truly, truly thankful. I've been praying. I've been trying to, like, do a rain dance or something. My yard thanks you, thanks you Lord, today. Um, Psalm 72, talking about the advent of the kingdom of Solomon, it says, talking about the presence of God and blessing David's greater son, and obviously that's a prophetic pointing to Jesus. It said, he shall come down like rain upon the mown grass. You know, there's nothing like having the yard freshly cut and you getting it done and then the drops start falling. I, I did that yesterday, rushing just to try to get it before the, it hit about noon. Smelling the fresh grass and just seeing the waters, the showers, water the earth, gratitude, thanksgiving. And there's worship in that. I, you can worship God in how you take care of your property. You can worship God when you wash your car. Some of you need to worship. You can worship God in how you take care of the temple that he's given you to live and abide in, this, this body. I am grateful today to take a few moments we, um, we do what we call every now and then a DNA moment, and it's a specific, intentional time to be able to share with new people who've been coming why we do what we do at Victory. Because let me just say this, I want to preempt it by saying we are not better than everybody else or anybody else for that matter, but we are different than a lot and we do that intentionally. There are a lot of other churches, and the, the pastors are friends of mine. I love them. I meet with them. I pray with them. I support them. When people come here and they go, you know, this is great, but it's not quite right for me, then I go, okay, why don't you go check out Brother Bill Harness at First Assembly, or why don't you go check out James Nichols at Marion First Baptist? I don't know the new guy at First Methodist yet, so I can't call his name. But a lot of really great churches with wonderful people in them who love God, um, I, we intentionally do things differently around here because we really believe that God has called us to, to, 
speak to and reach out to a group of people in the Delta that are not churched. And so we try to do things in a not churchy kind of way. We try to use language that's not Christianese. We try to really break things down so that they're understandable with relevant Bible teaching and not just preaching at you. And let me tell you something. I was raised on preaching, and I can get the fire stoked. And I love to preach, and I can hoop. And man, if I, if I had about another half of the congregation in African Americans and a choir and somebody, some young anointed young minstrel over here that could help me, I could, I could, you'd think I was T.D. Jakes. I'm just kidding. That's one of my heroes. But we, we choose things and we do things because we intentionally want to reach people who've not grown up in church and, and expecting things to be done a certain way. Now, whether you realize this or not, Church has changed in every generation for over 2,000 years. Church has morphed. Don't be scared of this word I'm about to use because there's nothing wrong with this word. Church has evolved, which just means change, okay? A lot of folk think that you're not really worshiping if you're not singing 300-year-old 17th century hymns, which I guess at this point is 400 years old. Um, I remember when we started in, in the little shopping center at 620 West Broadway across from Hamilton Schultz Stadium, West Memphis High School, where I went to school, graduated in 79, and I remember a sweet little old Assembly of God lady walked in one Sunday morning, and I shook her hand at the door after the service, and she said, really enjoyed your preaching, but those songs, somebody just made those up, because she was used to singing the old evangelical standing on the promises of Christ my king. And I want to go, well, yeah, but somebody just made that one up too. <laughs> and somehow we get the idea that what we grew up on and the way granny did it is the only right way to have church or to worship God or to hear preaching. And... I just want you to know that there is a lot more room and liberty in the Scripture for us to be able to accomplish this wonderful thing of worshiping God, and it doesn't have to be in this extremely legalistic, narrow kind of way. Now, don't, don't give me a, a pity clap or a hoop or a holler, but if you enjoyed, if you sensed the presence of God in what took place here this morning, put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Okay. Okay. The object of why we're here is to corporately come together and to intentionally lay aside the worries and the fear and the doubt and the concerns and the deadlines and the pressure that we're all under because of commitments that we've made, jobs that we work at, and we just for a moment, we, we, we enter into this glorious mixture of, of people coming together with different stages and phases and, and stations in life and we lift up one voice and we just begin to sing and worship and we, we look up, we look up in faith and when, when I start looking up it helps me to look forward in hope and even if my past has been checkered by some kind of struggle, now because of the work of Christ I can look backward in thanksgiving and gratitude. I can look down in grace, not on anybody, but on myself. 
I can look inside with joy. I can look outside with peace and expectation because I'm a change agent and a messenger of peace to the world. I, I, I got my war clothes on. I'm dressed in the armor of God and my shoes are called peace. That's the brand of shoes that I'm wearing as I, as I step out of this building today after worshiping and encountering the presence of God because it's all about sensing and, and tasting of the manifest presence of God. The Bible tells us that God is omni, that means every, all, all, fully encompassing. The, 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 the theological word is the ubiquity of God. It means that he is in the fullness of his presence at all places at all times. But there's another differentiation in the scripture that we're looking for when we come together, and it's called the manifest presence of God. It's when something takes place in the room that you can sense, you can, your five senses are activated, you can, you can almost smell it, you can taste it, you can feel it, you know that the Holy Ghost is in the house, and, and guess what, when God shows up, people's lives are transformed, and that's what we're here for. We don't want to just go through the motions. Whether it's high church liturgy or it's low church charismatic calisthenics, we don't want to just go through the motions and not have our hearts in it. Isaiah said, you worship me with your mouth, but your hearts are far from me. And I don't want to do that. Today, as we talk about our DNA moment, just for the next 20 minutes, Max, I want to answer some questions about worship. Why do we do what we do? How does the Bible speak about worship? Back up even before those two questions, and we're going to ask the question, what is worship? And so this morning... Our questions are about worship are going to be grounded in the word in John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. Jesus meets the woman of Samaria. Bad preacher joke. Somebody's preaching one time and said she must have been a really large woman. She was a woman of Samaria. Told you it was a bad preacher joke. It's not even right. The Samaritans were half-breeds. They were the outcasts. They were on the margins. When the, when the two kingdoms separated, the ten tribes to the north and the two tribes to the south, Rehoboam, son of Solomon, had Judah and Benjamin. All the other tribes, which became the separation between Israel and Judah. Judah never had a king that sought God. I'm, I'm sorry, Israel. Let me say it the right way. Israel never had a revival because every king in Chronicles and the book of Kings was a wicked man raising up idolatrous shrines to Baal and to Ashtoreth and to Molech, sacrificing their babies in the fires of the god of Molech. But in Judah, there was literally seasonal revival. God would raise up someone, and the standard became known as he walked in the ways of his father David. And so when we talk about Samaritans, they were those people from the north that had, had experienced all of this mixture and all this idolatry, and Jesus meets a woman at the well, and she is a woman who has had a lot of worldly experience. She's had five husbands living with the sixth one whom she's not married to, and Jesus came, comes up in the middle of the day, does something that Jewish men don't do, and he talks to a strange woman, and he says, give me water to drink. So she starts asking questions. In the middle of this conversation that I don't have time to really get into, Jesus gives us two verses that are key. First of all, he shows that the real ministry of the kingdom is not to let anybody be outcast, but Jesus will reach to everybody. 
Is there a Samaritan here in the room? Is there anybody who feels marginalized because of a choice you've made or because of the color of your skin or because of the checkbook or the money or the car or the house or the neighborhood or, or the education you have or don't have or any of those kinds of things that we tend as humans to do to marginalize people? Jesus, you know, so many times we get political and all we want to say is God bless America, but I'm going to tell you there's a greater statement than that. It is for God so loved the whole world. That he gave. So Jesus says, the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when, man, thank you for the rain, Lord. When what? All right, here it is. Let me get it. True. Everybody say true worshipers. True worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what? The Father is looking for those who will worship him what? Okay, that way is spirit and truth. Next verse, one more. For God is what? Capital S. This is how you differentiate it in your Bible. When it has a capital S, it's referring to the Holy Spirit. When it has a small s, it's referring to your human spirit. The spirit of man is the candle of the Lord, Proverbs 20, 27 says. But this is a capital S. For God is spirit, Holy Spirit. So those who worship him must worship in, there it is again, say it, spirit and in truth. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this wonderful, beautiful rain. You come down in your presence like rain upon the mown grass as showers that water the earth. Thank you for refreshment. I acknowledge today that I need you and I ask you, Holy Spirit, to do what I cannot do. Do, Lord, what my words cannot accomplish. Spirit of God, draw and challenge and comfort and convict and encouraged and strengthened by your presence. We look to you. Let our hearts be hope open and our minds be alert to hear and sense the word of the Lord that is to us individually. Craft and tailor make a word for every individual person sitting in this room and those that are watching on the internet. We ask you for this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said. Amen. We're going to define worship. One thing, say it with me please. Worship is the intentional expression of recognized value. Say it again. Worship is the intentional expression of recognized value. Somebody might say, well, that's not churchy enough. I want to, and that's intentional, because when we start saying words like this, they're words that we use only at church, and so they start to carry all this baggage. But when we just define the word, when we look at the etymology, what is behind it, Immediately with worship, we, we can directly associate and see the correlation with the word worthy. Everybody say worthy. All right, now take the Y off and tell me what's left. Worth. Worth is something of value. Worthy. It's, it's, it is the word that, that is describing worship. The Bible says in Psalm 29, ascribe unto the Lord glory to his name. Worthy is the Lord. Worship him in the beauty of holiness. Revelation chapter 5 said there were those that were gathered around the throne, 24 lamb, 24 elders, and, and they saw, said, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lion of the tribe of Judah who prevailed and opened the seals of the book. Worthy. Everybody say worthy. So when we worship, we are intentionally expressing recognized value. What is worship? What is worship? You know, most of you grew up in churches where you had a 
a format set of 3013i. Three, three songs with the first, second, and fourth verses. You always skip the third. And that was the one that was always about the Holy Ghost, because that's what they were scared of. Because many hymns were written, first verse about the Father, second verse about the Son, third verse about the Holy Ghost, fourth verse about, as Christians, what we do in the world. And so they would always sing one, two, and four, because they were just trying to cut a little time off the service. But a lot of times you grew up in church and you just didn't get the training and you, were, you didn't get the understanding of the presence and the, the daily work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And it became a little mystical and you knew that you didn't want to be like those crazy Pentecostals across the railroad tracks. Because they talked about the Holy Ghost. And I'm not afraid of that. I, I grew up in that. I'm thankful for my heritage. I brought a lot of it with me. There's some of it I let go because I found out it wasn't biblical. But you know what? Let me tell you something. I don't care what your heritage is. If you open the Bible for yourself, you will start to question and go, well, why did we do it that way? Because that's not what the Bible says. No spiritual family, no matter how wonderful they are, has everything and all of the truth in and of itself. That's why we need the larger body of Christ. Don't shout me down. Somebody say amen. I want you to recognize this morning that when we talk about words, how important they are. When we use our English word worship, it comes from an old English word, worth-ship. W-O-R-T-H-S-H-I-P, worth-ship. As a matter of fact, every judge in England is addressed as your worth-ship. You stand in the court of England and you address the judge, male or female, as your worth-ship. Now, this is not unusual. In America, what do we say to the judge? Very good. It's the same idea. When we honor something, we're ascribing value to it. So when we worship God, who is, by the way, the judge of all, when we honor God, we are intentionally expressing recognized value, something that is worthy in our lives. There are two primary Greek words in the New Testament that are used for the word worship. The one is latria. You can easily see the word idolatry, which is the intentional recognition of something with false value, an idol. Okay. The other one is proskunio, which means to kiss towards. And that is an idea of intimate devotion. These words both carry the idea of re revering and honoring and serving with honor. And, and, and the idea of the Bible of the fear of the Lord is not terror, but it's reverence. We worship God out of fear, out of reverence for him, out of latria. And when we do it, it's proscunio. It is a verbal and a vocal and a bodily kiss towards the one who is our source. The one who is the fullness of all in all. The one who, the Bible says in, in Colossians 1, by him all things are held together. By him all things consist. God is holding this planet together. It's not just some loose system of principles and some kind of Gaia concept. But it is the God of the universe who created this thing, who spoke it by his powerful word. Come on, somebody. Hebrews chapter 1 he upholds it by his powerful word. The biblical origin of worship comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis is the seed plot of the Bible. What begins in Genesis finds its way growing in the harvest field until finally it is reaped in the book of Revelation. 
What begins in Genesis, the first mention, and we use a hermeneutical principle. Hermeneutics is the, the science of interpretation. And there is a biblical principle called the law of first mention. That is the first time something's mentioned in the Bible. That is the prevailing meaning of what that word will carry throughout all of Scripture. The first time the word worship is used is found in the book of Genesis chapter 22. When Abraham responds to the commandment of God to take Isaac, the promised son, up to the mountain of Moriah which, by the way, is the location where the temple was built, and it's the vicinity where Jesus died on the cross of Golgotha. It was a picture of a sacrificed son and one raised up in resurrection like we would see thousands of years later after Abraham and Isaac lived. And the scripture says that when Abraham and Isaac were traveling with some servants from Abraham's house, he looks at them he gets off the donkey. Isaac is carrying the wood and the knife and the fire and a lantern, but there's no sacrifice. And Abraham looks at his servants and he says, you guys stay here. I, and I'm quoting King James, I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Everybody say worship. And guess what they did? They climbed the mountain. Isaac was strapped to the altar. He said, dad, where is the, the sacrifice? And Abraham said a prophetic statement. God will provide himself the lamb. And that was a prophetic statement speaking thousands of years ahead when God would show up himself in the flesh, in his son, and be himself, would provide himself the sacrifice. I love that. So Abraham raises the knife. The angel of the Lord stops him, stays him, and they turn, and there's a ram caught in the thicket, and that place Abraham names it Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord sees and provides. How I many you know in a moment of sacrifice, God will show up and reveal himself to you in a new way if you'll learn how to worship when you're in need? Come on. So from that point on, throughout all of Scripture, worship always was tied to the concept of sacrifice. It's just that when Jesus came, within a generation in 70 AD, the sacrifices in the temple completely ended. And now it's not a sacrifice of a bull or a dove or a goat or a ram or a lamb, but it's the sacrifices of praise and joy. Come on, and thanksgiving, we sacrifice to him. God, I thank you. God, I joyfully sing praise to you. I magnify your name. So it's a How many of you know sometimes it's a sacrifice to praise God? You're standing in a room and the worship leader's trying to get you to come on and you don't feel like, you didn't even want to show up. But I promise you, when you do, it happens to me every time. Lord, I just don't even feel like this. I mean, I was like that, that the mama who comes in and knocks on her son's door, and she says, son, come on, get up. It's time to go to church. I don't want to. Pulls the covers over his head. She comes back. Mom comes back 10 minutes. She said, son, get up. You've got to go to church. He pulls it. I said, mom, I don't want to. She comes back the third time. She said, son, get up now. Mom, I don't want to. She said, you have to. You're the pastor. I feel that way sometimes. Can I just let you off the hook? Some of you here this morning don't even want to be here. But you know, I promise you, if you'll literally let your heart enjoy this, you'll leave with your tank full of spiritual gas. You'll leave drawing from the reserves of heaven, and this stuff doesn't cost you $100 a gallon. You don't have to mortgage your house to get your tank full in here. Come on, somebody. But worship in the Bible is described and not prescribed. There are multitudes of ways that each of them are right in appropriate settings. What I want to say is what worship is not. 
Everybody say, what worship is not. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about my preference. It's not about the style that I wish they had. It's not how the preacher dresses. It's not how loud or how soft or how fast or how slow the music is. It's not whether they sing old hymns or new choruses. It's all of that. It's not about my preference. And we choose things here. Matter of fact, let me just say to you right now, if I really did what I wanted to do, we'd have black church every Sunday because that's my groove. That's my jam. Y'all would get tired of that. I said to somebody this week, I said, if I wasn't pastor of a church, I would probably be going to a Kojic church in Memphis somewhere because that, that's where I get my groove on. I love that. I love the preaching style. I love a choir. Oh, my gosh, you get a choir. A choir and some ushers, and you can have church. <laughs> Y'all still love me this morning? But it's not about me, and I'm trying to reach people in the Delta that are very different. And, I, and, and so when I do that, I want to I be able to, to do with excellence the very best we possibly can. Come on, musicians, let's get in here. Let's train. Do your scales. Come on, work your voice. Get some intonation where you can keep the note and not be sharp or flat and drive everybody else crazy. Somebody says it doesn't matter because God said make a joyful noise. Yeah, but he ain't the only one listening. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Y'all still love me this morning? What is worship? Say it with me. Come on. Worship is the intentional expression of recognized value. Say it like you mean it. Worship is the intentional expression of recognized value. Number two, how do we worship? We worship in thought, in word, in deed. What I think, what I say, what I do is worship. Worship is life. Worship is action. Worship is attitude. It's my life, and it's the individual and the sum total of my actions and attitudes. And when I worship him, the Bible says that I must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit as opposed to the flesh. Spirit as recognizing that what I do is that it is a spiritual act of service. It is something that I'm doing from a heart out of love for God, faith towards him, hope in his ability to change my circumstances. Looking to him and the Holy Spirit and his ability to be able to take my life and the mess that I'm in and turn it into a message that can bless somebody else. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. <laughs> Spirit means it's not the flesh. And let me tell you something. You can sing high church hymns and the biggest, one, most wonderful, beautiful liturgy, and you can be in the flesh. You can get your choir on and you can shout and you can juke and jive and it can be in the flesh. There's a difference. It must be spiritual, and it must not only be spirit, but it must be truth, and truth means it's grounded in Scripture. Too often, you go to some churches, and the spirit is only about the emotional, and there's very little Bible teaching, and you go to other churches, and it's an intellectual, cerebral experience, and it's like, man, if the Holy Ghost would show up and blow the dust off these Bibles around here, these folks would really have some church, because they got the Word. They got the Word, but they ain't got no spirit. Come on, somebody. It's not either or. How many of you know it's both and? I want both. When you come to church, you shouldn't have to check your brain at the door. Somebody went in one time for a brain transplant, and they're sitting there, and they're showing them all the examples of the ones that they have, and they said, well, this is a, this is a Baptist brain. Well, it's, it's $10,000. Well, why, why, is it, why does it cost so much? Well, it's been trained in the doctrines of grace and 
Salvation is a free gift. Okay, well, what's that one? Well, that's a Presbyterian brain. How much is it? It was $25,000. It's been, been trained in the sovereignty of God and the majesty and grandeur of God. And, well, what's that one over there? He said, well, that's a Pentecostal charismatic brain. How much is it? It's $50,000. He said, why does it cost so much? Because it's never been used. <laughs> now, I'm a Pentecostal, so I can, I can tell that joke. Okay, okay. Don't look at me that way. Come on. I'm not a white person telling an improper black joke. I'm a Pentecostal telling a Pentecostal joke, okay? Come on, God wants us to use our brains. Don't get offended at me using that example either, what I just said. Come on, hear me now. Y'all still love me this morning? It's not one or the other, cerebral or emotional, but it's both and. It's an expression of all that. It should touch all that. It should be when I come into the house of God, I think and I feel and I experience and, and I wonder and I'm in awe and I look at majesty and I look up in, in faith and I look outward in hope and I see all of these great things that God is doing by the power of His Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. New Testament gives us three kinds of ways to do that. Psalmos. The book of Psalms is the largest book of the Bible. If you let your, your, your hard copy of the Bible fall open, more than likely it'll fall open in the very middle. The middle book, the middle, the middle contents, 150 chapters are all about worship. It is, it is exaltation and it is, it is mourning and it is extreme triumph and it is celebration and it is intercession and it is crying out to God and it's supplication, it's confession, it's forgiveness. It's a grand party of how good God is. In the life of David, the sons of Asaph and Jeduthun and Ethan, those different minstrels that David raised up in his court. And they're writing, a couple of them written by Moses. These amazing psalms carry us through the experience of life. If, if you're struggling and need comfort, open up the book of Psalms before you go to bed and read one or two Psalms because you will see that he says, I will lay me down and sleep though 10,000s were gathered around about me because the Lord is the glory and the lifter of my head. And I was bowed down low, but he has lifted me up high. And I was stuck. I was stuck in muck and mire. And I was struggling and dying. But he lifted me up and set my feet upon a rock. And he put a new song in my mouth. And many shall see it and fear the Lord. I waited patiently for the Lord and he heard my cry. Oh my soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in God. David was talking to himself. He was worshiping God. Hiding on the backside of a dark cave in Psalm 27, running from a, from a demon-possessed, angry, mad King Saul. David said in the middle of darkness, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Psalms are the worship manual. It's in the very middle of your Bible. The heart of the Word of God is worship. Psalms, Psalmos, Humneo, the the Greek word which means a song of testimony. We sing hymns, old and new. Spiritual songs, ode pneumaticos, a pneumatic, a pneumatic tool. You know, when they take the, the, the nuts, bolts or whatever they are, off of your tires to change your tire, and they put it back on. They use a pneumatic tool. It's power-driven. Pneuma, spirit, wind, air. 
Ode to Pneumaticos. A spiritual song is a new one that's birthed in the moment. It's something that nobody's ever sung before. Psalm says, sing of the Lord a new song. Play skillfully on the instrument. So we recognize that he's given us ways and styles. And I want you to know that worship is not about time or temple. It's not Sunday morning at 11 and it's not a location. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say it, come on. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not about church. We are the church. This building is where the church meets. The building's not Victory Church. If you didn't show up, we couldn't have church. We have a building, but you, your presence here, your involvement here, your entering into the presence of God is what brings His presence and it's what makes us the living organism called church. Now, there are three areas, getting close to finishing this, three areas that Psalms and all of Scripture talks about how we praise and worship God. The first one is the voice. You go to any church, no matter what the denomination, no matter what the creed, no matter what the belief system, Catholic or Protestant, Methodist or Presbyterian, Baptist or Pentecostal, Lutheran, Nazarene, whatever, Everybody uses the voice. When you read the Psalms, it says, Tell of his goodness, speak of his wonders, declare his glory, extol his praise, testify of what he has done. Sing praises to God. And everybody sings, unless you're not on a log standing there like, Yeah, move me. I challenge you. I dare you to move me. Come on, this isn't about you. We don't do this up here for you. You're not the audience. We together are those that are performing for the audience of one. Maybe you don't like the word perform, but we are worshiping. The audience is one, and it's the Father. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together. The voice. And everybody uses the voice. We expect it. And when you go beyond the voice, that's when people start to get uncomfortable. That doesn't make it any less biblical. When you read the book of Psalms, you find out that it also uses the hands. Raise the hands. In an act of submission. Second Timothy says, I would that men everywhere would pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary, the Psalms say. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. There are ten Hebrew words that are used in the Old Testament to describe different ways that we worship. Zomar is a Hebrew word which means to pluck the strings of an instrument. Didn't you love that song that Jeff sang this morning as he was zomaring that guitar? It's another one of my favorites. It's, it's Tehillah. Tehillah means wild, exuberant, boastful praise. That means when you're not just shout, shouting using the voice, you're not just waving or clapping the hands, but you're getting the whole body involved. Everybody say, Tehillah. I didn't say tequila. Pastor Jeremy will get you in tequila praise. I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry. And he's not even here to, to appreciate it. He had, to, he had to leave, had a commitment. There are 10 Hebrew words that all describe, every one of them translated as worship in some kind of way. And so we, we worship with our voice, we worship with our hands, and, and folks start to get a little uncomfortable because they didn't grow up in church where you did that. Well, just because they didn't do it at your place doesn't mean it's wrong where they do do it. Because this is all the scripture. And finally, the last one is the whole body. It says, stand in the house of the Lord. It says, bow in his presence. It says, kneel before the Lord, your maker. 
And oh, everybody can even get fine with that because it you know, kind of looks a little bit religious. But it says, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise him with the trumpets and the cymbals and the organs and the harps and, and dance before the Lord. Oh, no, no, y'all getting too crazy now. That's what the Bible say. Matter of fact, if you went to any of those Hebrew feasts, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, they actually had a, a tithe for wine that was a rejoicing tithe. And they had a party. Everybody said they had a good time. And, and it was sanctified, and they, they turned up in the Holy Ghost. And how many of you know when you come to the house of the Lord, if, if you really want to be changed and transformed, then you will open your heart to experiencing some things maybe that you've not had in your previous church experience. I promise you. I, I love it when I see somebody who didn't grow up in this, and then all of a sudden they'll just kind of start and they'll worship. And here you, you, know, you just start to see. It's like the flag is coming up the staff. And they may be like this for a few weeks and a few months maybe, and then they'll sort of get a little bit like this. And then men will just really give their heart into it before you know it. They're up here like this. You know what? I don't judge you. We don't look at my granddaddy, Jake Blake, was a deacon in the Church of God in Marcy, Arkansas. And granddad shouted. And they, they talked about Jake Blake being the most righteous man in Marcy, Arkansas. Granddad loved the Lord. And granddad always said, I don't care how loud you shout or how high you jump on Sunday night. I want to see how straight you walk on Monday morning. Come on. Put your hands. Are you getting anything out of this this morning? W one more time. Worship is what? Say it with me. Worship is the intentional expression of recognized value. Come on, like you mean it. Worship is the intentional expression of recognized value. Last point, and this one's real quick. Musicians, team, singers, come on, help me. Why do we worship? We've asked the question what it is. It's value. It's worthy. It's honor. It's to kiss towards. It's to serve with reverence and fear. We, we do it with our voice, we do it with our hands, we do it with our whole body. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, there's always a sacrifice that's tied to it. But finally, why do we worship? Because simply the Bible commands it. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. John 4, 23 and 24 says that those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And let me just say this to you. If it's all truth, you dry up. If it's all spirit and no truth, you blow up. But how many of you know when you worship in spirit and in truth, you grow up? Come on. If it's all cerebral, intellectual head knowledge, then you just dry up. Because that gets, that gets dry. I need, I need some water of the spirit. I need some oil of the Holy Ghost on that with that dry bread. If it's all spirit and emotion and it's not grounded in scripture, then you blow up because folk just kind of get crazy and start having experiences that are not based in the word. They're just just weird. It's just church twilight zone. Nee, 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 nee. I'm not interested in the twilight zone. Well, I might watch it once in a while just you know, for kicks, but I don't want it at church. The Bible commands it. And finally, I'm finished. God seeks it. What we read, this is the kind of worship that God is looking for. For people, true worshipers that will worship him that way. 
for God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Finally, and I'm finished, worship is the expression of recognized value. God, you're the most precious thing in my life. I value you. And you're worthy of me moving out of my comfort zone to raise my voice and to sing to you, to lift my hands and to praise you, to take my whole body and stand and kneel and bow, and yes, maybe even in exuberance and celebration, dance before the Lord. God, you are worthy. You are that much valued in my life. I intentionally express the value that I recognize. We look upward in faith, downward in grace, inward in joy, outward in love to the world, forward in hope, backward in thanksgiving. Worship is the expression of recognized, the intentional expression of recognized value. One last thing and I'm finished. We don't not worship because of everything that is wrong with us, but we worship God because of everything that is right with Him. He's worthy. So don't let the enemy lie to you and go, yeah, I know what you did this week. How many of you know if you could just lay that on the altar before God, He can help you break that addiction? If you could become a worshiper and invite His presence into your thoughts and into your words and into your deeds, it can transform your life. Somebody put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Our greatest act of worship as they bring the lights down is recognizing the greatness of God and His Son in our lives. And the way we do that is by putting our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. Jesus said Himself in John 17, this is eternal life, to know God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Know God, to know God. Can you imagine this otherwise unknowable one sent his son to show us what he was like? People have postulated and theorized for millennia what God is like. Some of them have viewed him as a as a Jupiter or as a Zeus on Mount Olympus, a God who's angry all the time. And I want to tell you, that's not the God I worship because that's not how Jesus behaved. Somebody said, well, yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Somebody said, yeah, but wait a minute. He he, he, he made a whip of cords and he, he went through and cleared out the temple. Yeah, I said, yes, because he was angry with the church folk, the religious people. Come on, if you're hurting this morning, don't not worship. Don't not worship God because of what's wrong in your life. Worship him because of everything that's right in his. Come on. He's ready to receive you just like you are, right where you are. You know what the amazing thing is? He's not asking you. Just bring it. Just come. Just come to the altar. He's here with arms open wide. And you know what he's saying to you? I love you so much. I love you just like you are, but I love you too much to leave you that way. And he will begin the work of the Holy Spirit of transforming, of changing, of helping you see the world with fresh eyes, helping you see your life the way he sees you. As he is, so are we in this world. Heads are bowed, hearts are open, eyes are closed, no one's looking around. A new life begins by simply 
looking to him. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and he told them when they were under the judgment of all of their complaining, and the serpents were biting them and they were dying, Moses lifted up a brazen, a brass serpent, and he said, if you look on that serpent, you will live. Jesus said, in the same way, the Son of Man shall be lifted up, and if you will just look at him on the cross, you don't have to do anything, just look at him in faith. Look to him. Look to him. Faith in him. Trust in him. When you look to him, things will change. The Bible says that if we believe in our heart that God raised this Jesus from the dead, and we speak it with our mouth, the Bible says, you will be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, is the word. Heads bowed, eyes closed, hearts hoping. This morning, if that's you, no one looking around, and if you'd just like to be included in the prayer, I'm not going to call you up here. Anybody in the room, I'm looking over the crowd now. Would you slip? Thank you. That hand already went up. I see you right there in the middle. Another one on this side. Yes, sir. Anyone else? Yes. Another in the back. All right. That's beautiful. Another one over here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these four hands. Anyone else today? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you are so great and you are so good. Lord, we are sinners and we need a Savior and we look to you. As you hung on the cross for us and you stretched out your hands and died and you said, Father, I love them this much. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. God, we look to you and we ask you to change us. Forgive us. I want the whole congregation, if you would, lift your voices. Everybody, come on. Don't hold back. Lift your voice. And those four of you that raised your hands, say these words out loud. Congregation, pray with us together. Everybody say this. Father, thank you for this word. You are valuable in my life. I worship you. I turn to you. I turn from my past. I repent of my sin. Change my life. Forgive me, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Be Lord of my life. Change me in Jesus' name. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Yes, 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 yes. I want you to stand this morning if you would please. We offer these times at the close of the service. If there's anyone who wants to respond to the word, you know, that response that came by those four people, that has the potential and the power to change your life and set you on a new course and direction. Prayer warriors are coming forward to the front, intercessors. If you have a need, if you want to just come and just ask for prayer, if you want to come and bow privately by yourself, we're going to sing this chorus just a couple more times before we say the amen, before we change the order of the service and let you go. Let's lift it up together today.